Good morning. Welcome to Mission View Church. So glad to see you this morning. My name's Matt. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, we have our relaunch of our children's church today. So um, yeah, it was awesome to come in and uh, see all the different areas being set up and different things. It was amazing. Um, it's been so long. I forgot how many people it actually takes to pull this off. There was people everywhere this morning. We, it was just uh, it was awesome just to partner with everyone and do God's work. It's awesome. So anyways, uh, we are in a sermon series in the book of 1 Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 3 today. I've, I've loved this so far. What we're really looking at and, and what Paul is really uh, working us through in these first few chapters of 1 Corinthians is unity. And the church in Corinth had gotten to a place or a point where um, there was division, there was arguing, there was fighting, there was jealousy. It was not a pretty thing. It, was, it had gotten to the point that the Apostle Paul decided to write them a letter. And this letter is a letter of correction. Um, and, and last week, we heard a little bit of that. This week, we're going to hear more of it. It's, 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 a, it's a difficult letter as he's writing this, and, and we're going to hear a little bit of that today. But anyways, he's addressing this disunity, this division. And, and so we are really gleaming from this how we can stay unified as God's people. What, what's, what's the key things that hold us together as God's people? What can we focus on? Where can we really put... Our, our, our energies, our time, and, and invest in those things that will keep us together and where God can use us to the, the best way possible. So we're going to continue in that and this, this idea towards unity today. And um, there's some really good things in this passage, but let's pray before we read God's word here in 1 Corinthians 3. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And, and Father, we thank you for this time that we can gather together. Help us to not take this for granted. The opportunity to gather, pray together, fellowship, to sing your praises, to open up your word and, and God, experience the supernatural power of God the Holy Spirit bringing truth to life in our hearts. So God, that's my prayer this morning. God, use me. Use me for your kingdom. Give me the words to share. We want nothing but you, Father your truth, your goodness, your power, your correction, and we humble ourselves at your feet today, and we say, have your way. Have your way, King of kings and Lord of lords. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's start out here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I told you this week was going to be tough. I mean, he's, he starts out and he's just telling them where they're at. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in human ways? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each of you. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. 
He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. God's word for us today. The first thing I, I kind of want to draw our attention to here is in those first few verses, and, and it's the first filling in your notes today. It's this, that we need to get out of the flesh and into the spirit, out of the flesh and into the spirit. If we look at that a little closer, as he starts out, um, I can't address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, spiritual people. He wants to address them as spiritual people, but he can't. He addresses them as in the flesh. He says, even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. Jealousy and strife among you, behaving in human ways. We need to be ready. What are the marks of maturity? Some of the things that we've talked about already are this, unity, peace, selflessness, Obedience, we talked about those over the last few weeks. A commitment to the gospel and a focus on Christ. These are some of the things that Paul is laying the groundwork in the first two chapters for. Now he points out some of the consequences of immaturity or the fruits of immaturity. And the first one is this idea of jealousy. Jealousy. Now I'm sure no one here or anybody watching online with us today, we have never ever had to deal with jealousy, have we? Because we're Christians. That was a joke. That was totally a joke. No, there, we still struggle with things, don't we? Paul says that there is no room for jealousy. Looking at what others have, comparing ourselves or our things to theirs. Have you ever noticed that we could be walking around completely content and then look over at our neighbor who we know very well and they pull up in that shiny brand new car? And you, then, then, then you're thinking, you know what? That car I'm driving, it doesn't get the best gas mileage. And, and you know, his car's a hybrid, you know? It's a, it's a really nice one. And it's got the leather interior, the heated seats, and, you know, all the safety features that the new cars have. And then we, we kind of talk ourselves into these things, right? We're all con perfectly content with my, my 2004 car, but then when my neighbor pulls up in that new 2020 car, and it's got, you know, the, the emergency braking system, and it's got the radar cruise control and LIDAR systems, whatever that means. But we have to have it. I mean, by then, we are sold. We're like, where'd you buy that? What's the sales? All right, give me that phone number. And we're like, all of a sudden, we go for it. We can go, we can go from contentment, satisfied, to discontentment almost in a moment, right? It, it really makes me remember um, as as. I was growing up as a little kid. I was going to tell a story about my, my kids, but I'll tell them myself. As a kid, there's this one Christmas. I wanted so badly um, the Optimus Prime Transformer. And I, so I'm dating myself a little bit. This is back when Transformers were really cool when I was a kid. And, um, but I remember this Optimus Prime Transformer. He's this semi-truck, and, and there was two parts to him. There was the truck part, and there was the trailer part, and the trailer part broke out into this, like, base, and the big transformer part came out of the, you know, the truck part of it, and he was awesome, and I really wanted this thing. So I was, you know, writing letters to Santa, begging my parents, you know, and all this other stuff, and, and Christmas morning comes, and I'm opening all my gifts, open all the gifts, and no Optimus Prime. 
Oh, I was, I was hoping for an all there, but that's okay. It's okay. It's all right. It's okay. I'm still, I'm still, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but anyways, but then you know how my mom did it. There was always one more gift, right? And so she disappeared out of the room and I wasn't expecting anything, but she comes walking back in the room with this box. And I'm like, could it be, could it be Optimus Prime? And I open, I rip into that thing. And sure enough, man, it's the Optimus Prime. And I'm like, this is amazing. It was the best Christmas ever. I was, I was done. It was the best thing ever. And then we went to our family's Christmas party with my cousins. And they got Optimus Prime, the big one. (laughs) And all of a sudden, the best Christmas I had ever had turned into total discontentment. Well, yours is like four times as big as mine is. That's not fair. I I, I wanted the big one, Mom. I mean, I I can still remember this. As a parent now, you know, we learn, you learn a lot when you have your own kids and and discontentment and these kinds of things. I'm looking back at that going, I was a spoiled brat, you know? But here's the thing. Here's the thing. And here's what Paul's really pointing out, is we have a tendency to still be spoiled brats. We forget what we have. Have you ever been there? You know, all through the first two chapters, Paul's really pointing out the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And he's bringing up this idea of jealousy and discontentment that causes division in the church. And he's saying, listen, listen, listen. Don't forget what you have. There's a greater amazing gift right there. You know, jealousy dies at the feet of gratitude. You ever experienced buyer's remorse? Oh, that's the worst, isn't it? You either drive that car off the lot or motorcycle off the lot and instantly you just have that sick feeling in your stomach. Buyer's remorse is a product usually of jealousy. It's just that one item I just had to have and then I finally saved up enough to purchase it and it loses its shine, its sheen really quickly. That's where jealousy leads us. Discontentment, debt. We need to remember what we have been given, not Think so much about what we don't have. Speaking of what we have, what do we have to be thankful for? This is a great exercise. I just want to encourage you, as even we're doing this right now, throughout this week, I want you to take what, five minutes a day. And it could be at your lunch hour, it could be in your Bible study time in the morning or in the evening, your prayer time, or maybe it's at work during one of your breaks or whatever it is, and just start listing out things that you are thankful for. What are some of the things that we are thankful for? We get so far outside of the idea of gratitude and thankfulness. And I I think it has to do with the culture that we live in. You know, the, the culture that we live in teaches us more to be more concerned about what we are entitled to rather than what we have been graciously blessed with. It's a it's a whole paradigm shift that's that's going on in our culture. I think that this begins with what we have to understand what we truly deserve. What are, what are we, if we really break everything down and we just take away all the layers of everything else, we break down human, just down to humanity, what are, what are we truly entitled to? What, do, what, does, what does humanity at its core, apart from God, uh, in, in and of ourselves, what are we entitled to? I think this is, this is where we have to start. The Bible's pretty clear about where we should start. We find a a real clear statement in Romans 3.23. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
all of us, that's, that's a level playing field across the board. Me, you, the Pope, Mother Teresa, everybody has sinned and fallen short of God's standard. God has a standard. It's, it's perfection. That's the only standard a perfect divine being could have is perfection. So, so God kind of just levels a playing field. We're all together in this and that, that we have all sinned. The next verse is really cool, though. It says, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ. Jesus, we get a beautiful picture of the gospel, but remembering where we start at, that we are sinners. Ephesians 2 says it this way, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, now get this, by nature, human nature, children of wrath. Ephesians 2 like the rest of mankind. So if we stripped out all the layers and all the different things and all the ideas that we may have had and pre, pre things that are in our minds, we just throw all that out at the base level, where are we at? We are children of wrath. And the only thing we're entitled to is death and hell. Without Christ, that's where we were going. That's where we were destined. That's our entitlement. But God, God being rich in mercy and love, chose you. He knew your name before you were born. In fact, he knew your name before time began, before he created anything. He knew you. He knew the struggle that we would have and the difficulty we would have with temptation and, and sin and this enemy of our souls that's after us. He, he knew all of this in, in great mercy and love and sacrifice. He sent his only son, Jesus, to, to leave paradise in heaven. That he would, he would leave the, the very place we're desperate to get to. He just walked out of it. He put on flesh and became a man. And, and that perfect standard that this perfect God has set, only Jesus Christ, the Son of God, truly God and truly man, could live up to this God standard. And he did. For, for 33 years, he lived a perfect life. And he was perfect in, in thought and in deed, everything. Perfectly loving, perfectly just, perfectly honest, perfectly true, perfectly righteous. And what did humanity do to him for it? They crucified him. The very people he came to save killed him, murdered him, lied about him, and put him on the cross. But that's not the end of our story, and it's not the end of his. Three days later, he defeated death and sin for you and me. That is the beauty and the power of the good news that Paul's been talking about and pointing us to in the first two chapters. We have to remember that. 
And there, this is twofold. We have to remember our true entitlement, where we were headed, where we were destined for. We were dead in our trespasses. Dead men, dead women don't make decisions. God breathes life into dead bones and he brings us to life and he points us in the right direction. And the Bible teaches us that he puts his Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit in us. And that Holy Spirit directs us and changes us and grows us and makes us the people he's called us to be. I don't value that good news or gospel unless I remember and recall and understand what I've been saved from. I can't get caught up like the church in Corinth was getting caught up. We can't get caught up in the idea of entitlement or what I deserve. This is what I deserve. I'm such a good person. I come to church every Sunday. I don't watch Game of Thrones or any R-rated movies. I don't drink alcohol or smoke cigarettes. And we make these lists. Now, you may not write it out on a sheet of paper, but it's probably right here in the back of your mind. It's, this is church. We've got to be honest with each other, right? Pride is in us and active. The question isn't, do you have pride? The question is, where is pride active in my life today? God, where are you changing me right now? Where are you changing me today? Because I need it. I need your change. I need new life that only you can give. Where are you changing me today? Church, we have to be honest with each other. We have to be honest with the Lord. God, where are you changing me? Where are you growing me? Get to the heart of pride and get to the heart of jealousy and recognize the gospel as the gift that it truly is. Now, after jealousy, he mentions strife. What a great word, right? Strife. You look this word up, you do a word study, you find a lot of different words. One of them is quarreling. And as I was reading this, another scripture came to mind that just seemed very similar. So I did some studying and found a real parallel passage in James 4, verses 1 through 3. So the question is, what causes these things, this jealousy, this strife or fighting and quarreling? Um, where does it come from? And James answers that question for us in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. James says it this way. He says, What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So why are there quarrels and strife among us, this covetousness or jealousy? It's because it's, <laughs> it's really this simple. It's because we can't get what we want. It is really that simple. We want and we don't get, or we desire and we don't have. Maybe it's we just want to come home to a quiet, peaceful house after a long, hard day at work. That's not a bad thing, is it? Maybe it's we just want a few hours away from the kids. Maybe we just want life to be a little easier. You know, nothing, nothing much. It's just the small things, right? 
Maybe it's just this or that or fill in the blank. What do we want? Here's how we can really think about this. What are the things we want so badly that when we don't get them, we sin? What are the things that we want so badly that when we don't get them, we sin? Or you could ask yourself this way, what are the things we want so badly we're willing to sin to get them? Hard questions. I want us to, I want us to ask ourselves these questions. You see, in Corinth, this is the letter that 1 Corinthians, the church it was written to, they were willing to sin over their preferences. Preferences. Think about it. Well, I prefer Apollos. I mean, the dude is a surgeon with the scriptures. He gives the best analogies. He is amazing. He's, he's my guy. Apollos is my guy. Oh, you like Paul? That's too bad. I feel sorry for you. It's okay, though. You know, good for you. But I'm Apollos. I'm an Apollos guy. You know, he's, he's got it all. He's really good. And I mean, they had this just awful, awful idea where they're elevating men, elevating men in this preference. What does that look like for us today? Well, I really, I love Everbee. You know, that's a great song. It's really good. I mean, but the, the really good song, Jesse, the really good one is, it is well with my soul. You know, it's okay. Everbee's okay for you. Um, beginner Christians, but the real Christians, Jesse, we, it is well. Right? Or, or what, what other preferences do we have that we elevate? That when we think about them, oh, you know what? Church was really good today, but they didn't, they, they didn't really use my favorite scripture. They didn't sing my favorite song. It's, it gets really silly, doesn't it? But the church ends up doing really silly things sometimes. And Paul's pointing out some really silly things that's happening in Corinth. They were looking or aligning in the wrong direction. Apollos, Paul, whoever it may be, Cephas. Where do we align? Where do, who do we align with? We learned it already. Paul says Christ. And that's the second point that, that Paul's really getting us to, and it's in your notes, is this, is that remember to only look to God. We have to remember to only look to God. In verse 4, he says, For when one says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants. That's what they are. Slaves. Servants through whom you believed. Now get this. As the Lord assigned to each. And man, over and over and over again, we're going to get this idea that it is about Jesus. It is all about God and what he has done in and through all of the world and in our, specifically in our lives. It is all about him. So what then is Apollos? What is Paul? They're merely servants through whom you believed. As the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Paul says, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is what? Anything, nothing, we are nothing. It is all about God. 
We were, I was at a dinner last night and we were talking around the table and we were sharing like, who's your favorite author? Who's your favorite preacher? And those are all good things. Don't get me wrong. It's great to find trusted resources and teachers and those kinds of things. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying don't idolize them. Don't make them out to be more than what they are. When they say something amazing that just pierces to the depths of your heart and changes your life, it's not them. That is the very power and work of the Holy Spirit like we talked about last week. There is a supernatural happening that happens as we open God's word and talks about it that the very person of God, the Holy Spirit, is illuminating the truth of God to us and changing our lives. I can't do that. You can't do that. Billy Graham can't do that. The Pope can't do that. Mother Teresa can't do that. Nobody can do that except for God. And he's the only one that deserves the glory and honor and praise that goes along with that. It is all about him. People will fall short. Things will always leave you wanting. He who plants and he who waters are servants. Attendance is another word you could put there. Don't get caught up. Don't be, as Paul says, don't be merely human. I I think that's interesting, really interesting words he chooses to use there. Don't be merely human. Okay. Cyborg? Are we going to be superhuman? We're going to be aliens? What's he really getting at? He's really talking about spiritual. Spiritual. We have to remember, church, that there is a spiritual realm. In in John chapter 4, Jesus is having an amazing conversation with a a young lady at a well. And it's just a powerful conversation. I'd love to share it all with you, but we don't have time for that. But one of the points of what he's saying is, is he's talking about worship and he talks about man's relationship to their creator in worship. And he says that the Father in heaven is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. There is, there is a spiritual side of what's going on in our lives that we cannot ignore, that we cannot just walk out and and not think about. Paul is telling us that we need to think about the spiritual things going on beyond. That there's an enemy out there trying to divide the church. And it's not some political person. It's not some state person. It's not any... It is Satan. Satan is real. And he is trying to devour the souls. He is trying to take us away from what God has for us. And this infighting that was going on in Corinth and this comparing and this jealousy and everything else was an idea of looking strictly at the physical, not the spiritual, merely human. When we look at the spiritual things of what's going on, man doesn't get any of the glory. God does. When we're dealing with real persecution and when people are coming at us and we, we look beyond the person who's cussing us out or telling us we're idiots because we leave, believe in a creator, divine God, we're not angry with a person who's yelling and cussing in our face. Our hearts are broken for them because they're deceived by a spiritual force of darkness. They're simply merely being human. They don't have the power of the Holy Spirit in them. It changes It changes our perspective. It changes how we deal with people. It changes how we move forward. And it changes how we deal with one another. 
And that's really what Paul's getting at. As the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, unified, remembering that there's an enemy, remembering there's a spiritual side to everything that we do. When we hear God's word taught, when we come together and the band leads us in worship and we are in community groups and someone shares something profound and life-changing, we are powerfully impacted and we should be. God is in those things. But remember this, don't be captivated by the tool. Be captivated by the craftsman. I, I, I was thinking about it this way. Don't be captivated by the tool. Be captivated by the craftsman. How silly would it be if we were, let's say you went to a, an art gallery and there was this huge, huge um, thing going to be shown. And it was a world-renowned artist and he was going to be completing his life's work. It would be a priceless work of art in front of a, a core small group of people. You were invited. You're special. You were invited. So you get to go and see this and you're watching this like master craftsman do this final work that he had worked on his entire life. This was going to be the piece of art for the centuries. This was it. And you, you're there and you're watching this and you're taken in by the colors and the depth and just the artistry. It was amazing. And he gets finished with it and you're just like, wow, that is awesome. And the person you're with walks up to the painting as he's finished and he looks down and he looks at the paintbrush and he's just like, wow, what a brush. I mean, if you look at the bristles on this brush, they are amazing. The wood handle, it is shaped like every other uh, painting handle, but wow. I mean, the wood on it is really woody. That's what we're doing when we elevate man. We're ignoring the beauty, the majesty, the greatness, the amazingness of God and making much of a silly paintbrush. The third point, uh, the last point in closing is this. Paul says, we are God's field, his building. In verse 8, he says, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. So he doesn't just toss them aside. They're, they will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And now in closing, I want to point out something. Paul is is painting some pictures here for us. Let me use that again, I guess, painting pictures. But he's painting three pictures for us of the church. It's pictures of the church. It's important for us to realize what he's trying to get across. Today, in, in verses 1 through 9, he starts with this idea of a field. Planting, watering, growing. And, and, and this is the beginning. And now think about this as he's talking about a field. What do farmers do? They tend to the field. They fertilize, protect it from predators. They make sure the soil is taken care of. They know more about their field than anyone else would know. They know where the water puddles. They know where it dries out quickly and where they're going to have to water it. And they know what seeds to plant and, and when to plant to have the best harvest. But he's going to move on from this idea of this field or this starting point. And the next picture is one of a building where a structure is being formed, where foundation is put down and walls and infrastructure and details. And next week, we'll talk about some of the building materials that, that are actually mentioned. And he will end up in the third picture that he paints, and that is with a temple. 
Now, the temple, this is a really important reference that he's giving to the church in Corinth, and it's important for us today as well. This was the place of worship, where you would go to meet with the Lord. In the Old Testament, it was where the very presence of God rested. I mean, this was really something they would have caught on to right away. It would imply this closeness or intimacy with God. So he starts out with field. He goes from field to building, and he's going to go from building to temple. Think about these pictures he's painting for us, the start and the planting and the seeds going in, and, and then this building and the infrastructure and the foundation that he's going to talk about all the way up into this closeness, the temple, the very presence of God. I, I see a picture of the journey of sanctification, salvation, sanctification, glorification right here in 1 Corinthians. But we have it all in Christ, he says. Paul pointed out their immaturity and reveals the continued work of God necessary for all of us to grow more and more in our relationship with God. We all have areas of our lives that need seeded. We all have areas that need watered. We all have areas of our life that need foundations laid and a temple realized. That's what God is really getting to us through Paul here and to the church in Corinth. I don't want us to get to the point where we think we've arrived. We haven't arrived. God is changing us and growing us. And a part of avoiding disunity or division, a part of, of staying healthy is remembering that God has something more for you. Something more. It, it, is, it is immature. I'll use Paul's wording here. It's immature to think that, that we have reached some precipice of knowledge of this unknowable God. That we can, we can you know, just rip off like five doctrinal statements and, and tell you the scriptures that back all of them up and then walk away thinking we're okay. Or just get complacent. Get complacent in life to where things are going good, you know? Life is good. Life is going smooth. Why would, I, why would I need to go to church, you know? We're doing fine. No, that's, I think that's the trap that Corinth has fallen into and where Paul's saying, listen, listen, don't fall into this. We haven't arrived. There's more for us. Now, that can be, you can look at that statement and you can look at 1 Corinthians 2 two different ways. You can look at that and be like, man, I thought I was doing so good. Man, I, you know, I, I thought I had this lined up. I thought things were, things were going good. And we could be discouraged. Or we could look at it like this. Are you kidding me? God wants to show me more of who he is? You mean there's more than, than all the stuff that I've learned so far already? There's more than this? That God has more that he wants to reveal. He wants to grow me and change me more. There's, there's actually some more things he wants me to do. Different areas and different ground that he wants me to take for his kingdom. Don't get, don't get discouraged here. Because what we're going to find as we go through the rest of, of this section of 1 Corinthians, we're going to find the hope that is in the work of God in our lives every day. The practical work of him in our lives. Amen? Amen. All right, this week, remember, ask, ask yourself those hard questions, you know, and really pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal those things in your life and pray that he would do that work of change that only he can do in and through you. Let's pray together.
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. And God, we thank you that you're not done with us, that you'll never be done with us until we see you face to face. And even then, you're going to be revealing awesome things to us for all eternity. The depths and the, the greatness of who you are can never be searched out fully or completely. God, give us a heart and a passion for you. God, that we would be, we would just be completely consumed by who you are and what you've done in us. Leave no room for jealousy, that our hearts would be overflowing with gratitude because we realize what you've saved us from and what you've saved us for. We humbly submit to you, Father. We give you our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing our closing song today.